Hebrews chapter 12. I want to talk this morning about something. My title, I have a title. I haven't ever really been much on titles, but we've been doing it a lot lately. If I, I'm going to give you the definition of the antonym of a word first, because when I use the word I want to use, I don't want us to look at it as a derogatory term, but more as a, uh, a descriptor, a troubleshooting descriptor. I want to, uh, di- a diagnostical term. So if you want to write down the word competent, to be competent simply means adequate, but not exceptional. So that's kind of a mediocre term. They're competent. They don't you know, do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think, but they're competent. Having suitable or sufficient skill. So that's competent. Having suitable or sufficient skill. It's suitable. It's not the best, but it's, it's, uh, it's competent. But if I use the term incompetent, now that's often a very negative term, and I, I want to use that term this morning, but I don't want to use it as an insult. I want to use it as a diagnostical term because I want to troubleshoot an issue in the body of Christ, and I want to make sure we are not incompetent. So to be incompetent means lacking qualification or ability. Lacking qualification or ability. Um, incapable. The theme of my message this morning, we'll call it incompetent kingdom citizens. Citizens who are incompetent when it comes to their kingdom. And this is a problem I, I'm seeing more. My heart, I guess would, we could say, is heavy with the burden of it. I kind of touched on it briefly Wednesday, and even as I was teaching it, I said, ah, I need to come back and teach on that some more. It wasn't our theme Wednesday, but I hit on it briefly. I said just briefly, there's so much to cover in the kingdom. How can you build worthy or competent kingdom citizens with just one 30-minute message a week? But I want to talk about a kingdom first. Let's just talk about a kingdom. Uh, If we understand what natural kingdoms are like, then we can easily flip it over and parallel God's kingdom with it, and we can see the problem in greater detail. So kingdoms really have two things. There's two primary ingredients to kingdoms, and it's hidden in the word. English is sometimes so cool like that. Kingdoms have two primary components, the king and the domain, or the sovereign and his territory. Any kingdom works on the same principle, whether you're talking about the kingdom that is the United States, the kingdom that is Germany, the kingdom that is uh, Lesotho, the kingdom that is Australia. We use these terms kingdoms. It's not that they have a king. They have prime ministers, premiers, or they have presidents like we do, or chancellors like Germany. But they are a kingdom. They have a sovereign, a leader, and then they have their domain. That's every kingdom. And then with that kingdom, it produces naturally offices and governments because the king has the authority. So we have authorization within a kingdom. And that authorization comes to bring order. All authority is always given to enforce peace. That's what authority is for. So kings, premiers, chancellors, presidents, governors, you name it, they have authority. Their job is to enforce law and bring peace, maintain peace for the common good, for the common citizenry. So that gets broken down to offices and governments. And then with the domain, your territory, you have maintenance, you have dominion, you have administration. And so... We're comfortable or familiar with the United States of America. We have a president who is on the federal level, the federal government, and he has checks and balances through the judicial branch and the legislative branch. And then because we're a republic, we have 
United States. United States of America. So we have states. Now we're down to the state level. So we have governors over those states, and then we have mayors over counties, or if you're in Louisiana, over parishes. So then you have governors, and they have his uh, state Supreme Court and his state legislative body. And so this is every kingdom. Don't ask me how it works in other countries, because I haven't mastered this country yet, much less how, to, how does a premier in Canada work? How do the provinces work? What does it break down? And I have Canadian friends, and they have to interpret for me when we have conversations. They give me the terms, and then they say, well, this would be like you're this. And I feel really ignorant because they're Canadian, and they know how both of our systems work. I live in the greatest nation on the planet, and I don't know how theirs work. But why should I? I live on the greatest nation on the planet. <laughs> Somebody said, there are two types of nations on this planet, those that use metric and those that have a flag on the moon. All, all you got to say, we put a flag on the moon using not metric. I don't even know what you call the other thing, standard, inches, whatever. Yeah, what's that? Imperial. We were colonizing the moon, weren't we? Brought back nothing but rocks and dirt. Hadn't been back since. Guess we figured out, well, there's nothing worth here. So we came back, left a flag, though. Finders keepers. We discovered the moon. Our flag proves it, unless you're a YouTube conspiracy theorist, in which case it's all fabricated and, I don't know, bless your heart, get off YouTube and read your Bible. We have laws in a kingdom. We have commerce, because that's how people prosper. You have capitalism, even in a socialistic country. Somebody's manufacturing something. Somebody's selling it. Somebody's buying it, even if it's heavily legislated or controlled by a communist regime like China. You have systems of justice and laws and crime and punishment. You have regulations. You have property, property rights, citizenry, citizens' rights. You have education and all that entails. And then with all this, and this is just a, a brief survey of everything that goes into a kingdom, all of this takes years to begin to even scratch the surface at. So even when you're brought up in a home in a nation, whether Germany or Africa or the U.S. or a South American nation, your kids start off with the local kingdom, which is mom and dad, the sovereign, and his domain, and his governor, mama, and his domain, which is his household and his property. And the kid learns home governments. And then as the kid gets older, he begins to learn maybe neighborhood governments or tribal governments, depending on where he lives, and then maybe school governments and classrooms and first grade and second grade, and those are third graders, and that's the principal, and that's the cafeteria worker. The kid learns governments, and it keeps expanding, and then maybe they go to high school. Now it's high school governments and their first job, so now you're having a taste of commerce and economics, and maybe you're learning social studies and history along the way. So there's a lot that goes into learning kingdoms for the sole purpose of functioning, and participating in and out of it. These elements follow the same template from kingdom to kingdom, but are essentially the same. They're different, but the same. And now here's the critical thing. The higher a citizen wants to climb in their kingdom, the more they need to know. The higher you want to climb in the United States, the more you have to know. There's a reason why you can't be president unless it was at 35? 35. You can't be president before 35. You got to have some life experience. And nobody goes from running for mayor to running for president because you have to learn local politics first. 
then you've got to learn state politics. Nobody jumps from mayor to presidential candidate unless you're a favored person like Buttigieg. He has favored person status <laughs> because he identifies. You learn and work your way up state legislature, then maybe governor, then you jump up a little higher, senator, con congressional rep. You're constantly increasing your circle of knowledge, your, your domain, so that you can climb higher. And that requires you to learn new things, new people, new rules, new laws. This is how it works. Uh, when you're a kid, you learn about finances. You have home economics. You have an allowance. And hopefully mom and dad make you earn it. And then they help you budget it. And then you go on and you start to work side jobs at 12 and 13 and 14. And then you have your first real job. And then you get to learn about income tax and all of that fun stuff. And you get to see it get taken out of your paycheck. And then, then you go on to college and you work part-time jobs. And then you have a career. And then maybe from your career, you launch into a startup. But all of this means you're learning the kingdom. And nobody comes out of the womb and runs for senate. Nobody comes out of the womb and starts up a Fortune 500 company. Nobody comes out of the womb and all of a sudden has a PhD and is over the dean of a school. You have to climb this thing incrementally, which means those that succeed in the natural realm are always learning and advancing. Consequently, there's a hierarchy in every society around the world. And those that study, those that apply, those that advance get higher up in that hierarchy. Through wokeism and Marxism, we want to call that disparity. The only thing there's a disparity of is work ethic and ambition. That's the only disparity there is. I mean, let's just be honest. The only disparity there is in our nation is work ethic and desire. You can have a tremendous work ethic. I think I've got a pretty good work ethic, but I have no desire to be a politician, so I won't ever strive there. I think I have a pretty good work ethic, but I don't want to be a business owner, so I won't ever aim that. It's work ethic and vision. Same when you come comes to having a business, you start off with a side hustle and you learn that, then that becomes full time. Then all of a sudden, even in a business, you go from going full time in your business, running an internet business from home to now you got to step out and rent. And you've got to learn renters' rights and what does that look like renting office space and signing lease agreements? And then, then all of a sudden you've got to start dealing with uh, what if what if I got to employ people now? Now I've got to deal with workmen's comp. Brother Chad, you've owned a business. How much have you learned every step of the way? And keep learning and learning and learning and learning and learning. And it never stops. And the more you grow your business, there's the next level that you got to learn and master. And the next business, learn and level, level up, up and learn it. So what if you go from employees? All right, now I'm learning how to employ two or three people part-time. If I have them full-time, i got to give them benefits, etc. What if I step over into interstate commerce? What if, I want to, what if I sell a widget that's outlawed in California like everything is, except for apparently defecating on streets and open drug use? Give us your tired, your hungry, your withered. Give us those, your huddled masses. We'll take them from California as they vote themselves into stupidity and oblivion. Then if you go from interstate commerce to international, what if you manufacture a widget that's outlawed where you want to ship it? Now, see, the point is it never stops, and yet it's always advancing the kingdom, whether the kingdom is your business, whether it's your local home, whether it's your state, whether it's your nation. I think it's ironic we even have 
rules to war. And if I'm going to declare war, I got to make sure my troops know how to do that fairly. I can't just kill you. I mean, there's certain ways I can and can't kill you. Because apparently, sometimes death is not death. We need diversity in our death. We need politically correct death. You can't thermite bomb people. You have to use conventional weapons. You have to use NATO-approved rounds. If it comes out of the barrel of a gun at 1,000 feet per second, I don't think the head is going to care whether the round was NATO-approved or not. This is how the world works. Lazy, ignorant, disinterested citizens, yet still citizens, never advance in their country, their culture, or their kingdom. Lazy, that's one reason. Ignorant, you just don't know. Or disinterested citizens never advance in their domain. So this brings us to something we covered in Sunday school about there's two types of people, depending on what your argument is. Two types of people. There's producers and consumers. And in our nation, we're the land of opportunity. The whole of the world knows we're the land of opportunity. The sky's the limit here. And yet there will be those who produce and make themselves wealthy and control things and those who do nothing but consume because they're not interested in doing anything more than feeding their face or entertaining their soul. But the reason they won't advance from consumer only to a producer-consumer, because even producers still consume because you have to, is because they're either lazy or they're ignorant or they just don't care. They remain consumers dependent on everyone else's diligence. They never become what they could be. And we would call them incompetent citizens. We don't mean incompetent as in stupid. Most people aren't stupid, but they can remain incompetent because they don't educate themselves. They don't know rights. They don't know what it takes. They don't want to get up early. They don't want to stay up late. It's just not important to them. So really, most people's lot in life is totally developed and, de and decided and determined by their internal mechanism called their heart. But this is important because all of this is the same thing with our kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, because it has a king and it has a domain. We have the sovereign Lord Jesus Christ over the domain, which is not an earthly domain yet, but our eschatology teaches us one day he will rule and reign and we'll rule and reign with him. And David will sit upon his throne again in Jerusalem and the Lord Jesus, the earth will be his footstool and we will be given leadership over nations as we've ruled well in this age. That's our doctrine. People think we're crazy for it. We think they're crazy for all the stuff they believe that animals are humans and men can have babies and yeah. So I'm sorry. I'm, I'm crazy. <laughs> the kingdom of God has a culture. The kingdom of God has maintenance and administration. The kingdom of God has enemies like natural kingdoms do. The kingdom of God has laws and regulations. It has commerce. The kingdom of God has a system of law and order and justice and recompense. There are punishments in this kingdom. You can be excommunicated. You can be delivered to Satan. The kingdom of God is regulation and prosperity. The kingdom of God has citizens' rights and education. That's the kingdom. And honestly, if we want to move up in the kingdom, 
we have to know. And what we still deal with to this day in the nation, excuse me, in the kingdom of God, is that some Christians just don't care. They're born again, but like we said, you don't go from, born, from being born to being a school teacher, being born to being president, and one day you have to be grown and developed and matured and discipled. It's a process. And most Christians, I wouldn't say most, a lot of Christians, they just want to be born again and missed hell by the seat of their pants. Now, this thing is heavy on my heart because I interact with people in the community. I interact with all sorts of people. And I'm shocked when people tell me they're a Christian, they're faithful, they go to the church, and we start talking doctrine or how they're dealing with stuff. And I'm shocked at how ignorant so many Christians are on how our kingdom works. That's the burden I'm addressing this morning. I'm shocked at how long people can stay in a church, how long people can be wonderfully faithful to their pastor, their local congregation, serve in a Sunday school. And still, when you talk to them, you realize the holes of your kingdom knowledge are big enough to not drive a truck through. You can drive a nation through them. And they ask questions that I, I honestly, with all humility, think our Royal Rangers could answer this. Our children's church could answer these questions. And I don't mean it to put them down. I do use the term incompetent, not stupid. They just don't know. But if we understand how the United States of America works as the kingdom we're mostly familiar with, I know we have internationals here, but the one we're most familiar with, you can understand you'll spend your whole life learning how our governments work and still not master it. And just because you master, say, states' rights doesn't mean you understand federal rights. And just because you understand interstate commerce doesn't mean you understand international commerce. And just because you understand judicial procedure doesn't mean you understand legislative procedure. So you can be a master of this and not understand this at all. Same in this kingdom. In this kingdom, we have domain. We have a king. We have offices, culture, rules. To climb high in advance, we must know this kingdom. And the root of Christian discipleship, the heart of Christian discipleship is getting Christians up to speed on this new thing there that's in their life called the kingdom of God. The epistles lay out for us what the kingdom of God is. It's not a natural kingdom. You can't say, yay over here, yay over there. It's within us. It's the kingdom of God that we operate in. Discipleship is learning about this kingdom that we've been given and then becoming competent citizens of that kingdom. Now, if we think about it in that light, we would have to admit a great many Christians today are just incompetent of the kingdom of God. It doesn't have to be that way. Again, we're not using the term as a derogatory statement, but as one that just diagnoses. I'm incompetent of Supreme Court judicial procedure. I'm not a stupid man. I'm a well-read man. I just don't know. I'm incompetent when it comes to rocket science. I get it. Fire goes boom. Rocket goes up. Gravity opposes it. Let's hope it doesn't blow up. That's my rocket science. I did go to college with a guy who is a PhD rocket science at NASA. We used to go cliff jumping at Sligo together. He turned out, that's an idiot. Why would you? Are you going to be a rocket scientist? As a matter of fact, I will be a rocket He's a real honest rocket science scientist. I'm incompetent when it comes to rocket science. And the kingdom is comprised of incompetent citizens. And we have to change that. And you and I have to recognize where we're incompetent and fill in those voids. Now, it's the most obvious place is where you're failing, where you're suffering loss. There's some kind of law, culture, administration, 
service, program in heaven that will fix that that you're just ignorant of. We don't have to know everything. We just have to know the God who knows everything, and he'll point us in the right direction. We have to make sure that we are not willfully ignorant. And unfortunately, Christians choose to be this way because it's easier. If Christians aren't discipled, they will be condemned to always being kingdom consumers and never kingdom builders. And there's a place for kingdom consumption. We consume doctrine. That's what we're doing now. We consume worship. That's great. But we also need to get to a place where we're no longer producing the burden. We're relieving the burden. Kingdom consumers are burdens. Now, the burden of ministry is people. So it is a catch-22. We have ministry because we have people. People are the burden. Ministry relieves burden, but burden, the burden of ministry is the people. But we hope to perpetuate the kingdom by making disciples that help bear the burden of new converts who come in. We bring them up to speed, and now they help shoulder the burden of the kingdom, and it's not left on the shoulders of a few devoted, sold-out saints. All right? If Christians aren't discipled, they will be condemned to always being kingdom consumers. And that's not the will of God. We got to ask ourselves, how do I know how to stand on my own two feet in prayer? Do I know how to wage spiritual warfare? Do I know how to get the victory for my family? There's nothing wrong with calling and getting a help or, you know, a Bible lesson or help me with this. I call my pastor regularly, say I'm at a new crossroads. And that's usually the caveat. Never been here before, pastor. Uh, how do I deal with this? Just when I thought I dealt with every pastoral situation, here's another one. How do you deal with that? I have had two instances recently where I've stumped all my pastor friends. One of my pastor friends went, huh, never dealt with that. I felt really good because he'd been in the ministry 35 years. Never dealt with anything like that. I said, well, neither have I, and I'm much younger than you. He said, let me think on that. There's nothing wrong with getting help at a new crossroad. But if we're still getting help on the old crossroad and something at some point you realize this is a juvenile crossroad, there's a problem there. That's when incompetent citizenry kicks in. At some point, you, you get mature enough to start anticipating potential issues. You start anticipating, if I'm driving from Tennessee to Arkansas, then maybe into Missouri, might the speed limit change? I've just gone from country into city. Might the speed limit change? You start looking for the speed limit. You start looking for uh, things to do. You, if you've been around the nation long enough, you know what bad parts of town look like in any city you go to. And that's when you say, sweetie, you're going to have to hold it a little bit longer. We're driving to the next exit. Or we may just pull off on the side of the interstate that looks to be safer. We were one time in Detroit, driving from Detroit up to Midland, and we pulled off at eight mile because I think we saw, thought we saw a sign for Taco Bell and eight mile coming around 75 in Detroit, you pull off and even your car says, no, 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 no. We just keep going here. <laughs> don't even, don't even obey that stoplight. Just pull on. Look, there's no cars coming. Just cross on over and get on back on the interstate and you can wet your pants and this will be a safer vendetta. <laughs> That part of Detroit now is completely wiped clean. There's nothing there. They've just bulldozed whole blocks. And Hannah and I were talking about this. It's called urban blight. And it's biblical. 
when sin gets too egregious, God just wipes things away. Citizens can't live there anymore, therefore sin can't abound there. Urban blight is an Old Testament judgment. And the Bible talks about blight striking a place and removing the citizens and things being torn down and it becoming a waste howling wilderness. And there are certain parts of certain cities in our nation, this nation, this Christian nation, with all the wealth you drive through, and there's nobody inhabiting it anymore. Because urban blight is a spiritual problem. It's where sin tips the scale and God silences it. Sometimes I think we just live in theory, theological, theological theory, and we don't realize it all still works even with the digital age. God still smites people in a woke digital age. All the things of the Bible still happen today even with lithium-ion batteries. By the way, none of us are any smarter than our forefathers were. They spoke nine languages and read the Bible in Latin and Greek, and we don't even read the Bible in English. All right. So here's the issue we're finding, coming back to our issue here of um, incompetent kingdom citizens. If to be a politician... You've got to be around politicians and learn the ins and outs. And you can ask Mr. Luke about that now that he's a local politician and all the people he's rubbing elbows with now, both at the state level and the national level now, and realizing there are different levels. And that's after he's had a successful career in his realm and now stepping up into higher ranks. And if the same way is in academia where you go from being an adjunct professor to a professor to a tenured professor to a dean to a chair, what have you, if it all climbs... And that's how our kingdom works, and it is. How in the world do we make kingdom citizens with one 30-minute service a week? You don't. You don't. It's impossible. How do you make a politician out of someone when you only meet with them 30 minutes a week? You can't. How do you make um, a medical doctor out of someone when you meet with them 30 minutes a week? You can't. How do you make an, a contributing, strong kingdom citizen, when all they do is come to church once a week, sit under one milk toast message. Nowadays, the flavor is hopium or methahope or hope, hope, hopey, hope, hopey, hope, little hopey Cunningham. <laughs> you can't. So we, unfortunately, that means we have churches that are full of incompetent kingdom citizens. Those folks aren't a threat to the enemy. When basic Christian doctrine involves theology, which is the study of God, and Christology, which is the study of Christ, and pneumatology, which is the study of the Holy Spirit, and angelology, which is the study of angels, and demonology, which is the study of demons, and missiology, which is the study of the church's assignment, and most of your messages today are just that God has a plan for you, and there's hope, hope is here, hope now, hope for the better future, you're never going to have a competent kingdom citizen in that church. If they become hungry, they'll have to leave. But it makes me wonder, what, what, what's the purpose of these churches? Does God love it or does the devil love it? Because people, dictators love a people that don't know their rights and don't know how things work. These topics cannot be covered aptly in a 30-minute hope-only motivational speech. What those kind of services will do is produce an adult daycare. 
a spiritual adult daycare, and that is not acceptable to the kingdom. Not when we're called to be soldiers, not when we're called to lay down our life, not when we're called to take up our cross, not when we're called to know the word, not when we're called to be instant in season and out, not when we're called to preach, pray, and prophesy, not when we're called to cast out devils, not when we're called to lay hands on the sick. I, I just, I'm shocked at how ignorant Christians are today. They don't know their Bible. They don't know Bible stories. They don't know doctrine. They don't know what the scriptures are even saying to them. And what happens when you don't know your kingdom, whether it's the United States of America and your nation's culture, anything can slip in and begin to drift you. If you're from Nigeria and you have lost track of Nigerian culture, you'll be moved away from being Nigerian. If you're Japanese and you lose track of your Japanese culture, you'll be inundated and absorb other flavors and begin to drift away from what is culturally Japanese. Same in the kingdom. If we don't know our Bible, if we don't know our kingdom, if we don't know our laws, if we don't know our rules, if we don't know the expectations of our sovereign, anything can begin to creep in slowly and we'll mix it and we'll make the kingdom like a... Uh, build your favorite ice cream cone thing where you have a little bit of sprinkles of this and some gummy bears and some cherry on top and maybe some chocolate stuff. And all of a sudden, it's not even a pure Christianity anymore, which is what's happened all over the world everywhere Christianity is gone. There's very little pure Christianity anymore because the culture of the area creeps into the church because the church is too busy doing anything but teaching the kingdom's culture and the kingdom expectation and making competent, not even excellent, but just competent citizens of God's kingdom. Remember, we, we, there's competent, which means, you know, sufficient, incompetent, incapable. <laughs> Siri thinks I'm calling for her. She doesn't know that that feature is not turned on my phone. Then you have what is excellent. Could we even just get it from incompetent, just to competent citizenry. Could we, could we just do that? Would you be willing to judge yourself and see where you're at on the spectrum? Excellent kingdom citizen, competent kingdom citizen, incompetent kingdom citizen. We're not even going to give you more of a gradient than that because that becomes too indecisive. Ah, just that simple. Our job is to become competent and then excellent kingdom citizens. Look at Hosea chapter four. Let's look at some scriptures now because we're not called to sit here and simply be consumers. I, I have a quote, a statement I make. I say, the kingdom is built by a few, but enjoyed by many. Your job as a born again believer is to be a competent kingdom citizen that helps build the kingdom of God so that others can come in. You and I are supposed to be like that gospel seed sown that is small and insignificant, but it grows up to be a great plant that all sorts of fowls of the air can come in and nest in. If you're still a little mustard seed, you have not grown enough to be able to house and help and comfort and set and deliver free fowls of the air. That's how the kingdom is supposed to be in our life. It's a choice. We make that choice. Hosea chapter four, you there? Very, very famous verse, verse six. My people are promoted through the handouts. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. My people are cut off. So ignorance is not bliss. And waiting for somebody else to do it for you is not praiseworthy. My people, still citizens, they're destroyed. They're cut off because of their ignorance. 
That verse right there ought to compel every one of us to know the Bible better. We ought to want to know Pauline, that is the Apostle Paul's doctrine. We ought to want to know the bigger historical picture of where things fit. We ought to want to know the Gospels. We ought to, we ought to want to study and know the players of the Gospels. Who are the Pharisees? Who are the Sadducees? Who are the Herodians? Who are the Essenes? So they don't make an appearance there historically. What's going on with Rome? What's the bigger picture with Rome? What role does Rome play? Why is it we're talking about Rome and Italy, but we're talking about the Hellenistic Greeks? What's going on? Because if that's all, if you don't know any of that, then you just want to find some preacher that says, hope is here. God has a plan for you. It's going to be a better tomorrow. It's a pretty day. And that's nothing but incompetent, impotent kingdom citizenry. We're a literate generation. We have every Bible tool ever created available to us on an app. And yet we're the least Bible literate generation known to this nation. We're the least Bible competent, least Bible literate, least doctrine indoctrinated scripturally generation. And it's evident by the churches we pack out. The generation 50 years ago would look at today's churches and say, sorry, come again. What is this? The house of Ichabod, where there be no glory. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because thou hast rejected knowledge. Oh, oh. I will also reject you. Here's one of those wonderful Bible promises nobody claims. You and I don't have the option to being ignorant. At some point, ignorance becomes intentional ignorance, and that's sin. When you're ignorant, you're ignorant what you're ignorant of because you, you don't know what you don't know because you don't know it. But at some point, this hunger for God kicks in and you want to know more about him. And we're always going to have spots of ignorance. We're always going to have blind spots and, and, and just nothing. We just know nothing there. But as long as we're pursuing God and his knowledge and his grace and his mercy and his kingdom, that stuff will be covered up and God will help us when we get there. If we know we're ignorant in areas because our life is suffering and we're not bothering to advance it, this is going to start to qualify us for this passage which says, because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject you. We don't get to play ignorant anymore. We, we don't get to play, well, you know, I just didn't know. Well, how many times are you going to say, I just didn't know? When will your lack of knowledge tick you off enough to go find answers? When will your failure irritate you enough to go practice till you don't miss the touchdown anymore or the kick or the free throw? At some point, your failure ticks you off enough, angers you enough that a righteous indignation rises up, produces a hunger where you want to know what you don't know so that you don't fail anymore. Or we can just embrace the kind of Marxist sociology or socialism that says, somebody else will do for me. Prayer line will get this for me. Pastor will get this for me. My wife will pray us through this. My daddy will pray us through this. No, at some point, you and I have to stand on our own two feet and walk with our God for ourselves. I will also reject you that thou shalt be no priest to me. Seeing that thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget your children. Oh, oh, this is even worse. This is not a good verse. This verse says what starts off as ignorance poisons and ruins your kids. 
be smart at least for your kids' sake. No show of hands. How many of you have ever had a sick kid and you got on the Google real quick to figure out what was going on because you love your kids? Chad, I said no show of hands. <laughs> Does not follow instructions well. We won't name his business, but he electrifies businesses all over this region. I hope he follows instructions better on those Taco Bells and website and the other country, uh, companies that he works on. Now, when something's hurting our kids, we figure out what it is. We get to the bottom of it because we want our kids protected. This verse says ignorance is no longer bliss. This verse says you reject God's knowledge. He won't just reject you. He won't just reject your ministry calling or your calling calling. He'll forget about your kids too. This lets us know that our kids will suffer because of our incompetence. Now, show of hands, how many of you can already say your kids have suffered because of your incompetence? And I will raise my hand. Uh-huh. Yeah. We've all think every parent raised their hand. How many times did you let it happen with the same flavor? Hopefully just once. Hopefully you said never again are we going to suffer like that. Daddy's going to fix that. Mama's going to fix that. Father, forgive me. Lord Jesus, forgive me. Baby, I want you to forgive me. Honey, I want you to forgive me. That will never happen again. Incompetence is not bliss. Socialism is not bliss. Handouts are not bliss. Have you no self-pride? Have you no confidence? Have you no respect? We have to get after the things of God. Otherwise, our children will suffer. Our children are supposed to stand on our shoulders. We're not supposed to be standing on theirs. Our children are supposed to see what we've pioneered and go further. But we've got to want better. We've got to be hungry for more. We can't just sit there and say, well, you know... America, you know, middle class, you know, social security, you know, YouTube. We, we have to be hungrier than everything that is America. We have to be hungry for the things that are God's. He says, because you've rejected me, uh, I'll reject you. You'll be priests no more, and I'll forget about your children. This means that we all have a calling. Go to Ephesians 4, because in this kingdom, if we're citizens, and we are, we all have an assignment. And we're all going to be judged according to that assignment. We'll look at the assignment with the next verse. This assignment that I'm going to give you here with not this verse, but the next verse, this is going to, after I preach this and declare this, the standard will click higher on every one of us and we will begin to suffer loss if we don't come up. So if you don't want any more responsibility, keep voting Democrat and go ahead and leave now because what I'm going to give you is going to be more responsibility. But we're citizens. We're not freeloaders, grifters, or vagrants. Even with our societies, I believe it's a spiritual condition, our, our explosion of homelessness, which is a combination of socialism, mental health, drug addiction, poor economy, that is creating a whole new level of burden on politicians and local governments. It's a new problem we've never really had before. Even back in the day, hobos were not needy. I just had lunch with a friend of mine. He's older. We were talking about, he was with his grandson. We were having breakfast. And uh, we were talking about, I grew up in the 80s where, you know, you were put outside and don't come home till it gets dark or I holler for you. And we would ride our bikes at eight and 10 years old all over our neighborhood and into the shopping centers and just anywhere you wanted to. You running through the school, nobody cared. Our nation wasn't as dysfunctional as it is now. 
He said, well, I'll tell you what I did growing up. Again, he's probably in his mid to late 60s. He said, we would hang out at the railroad station with the hobos. I said, all right, that's hard on me. And I was born in the 70s. He said, I know. He said, we had a local railroad station, depot. We, the neighborhood kids would go down the railroad and the hobos would come in, jump off. They had a little hobo camp. They'd feed us. We'd hang out with hobos. And then they'd wait for the next train and they'd hop on and disappear. And we did that every weekend. We hung out with hobos at the railroad switching station. And you know, those hobos wouldn't fiddle with kids because they weren't perverts and, and they weren't looking for a government handout. They, weren't, they had self-respect. They had dignity. They had respect for human beings. And they were safer. They were safer to hang out with than a lot of public education people today. Because nowadays, school teachers will say, I have a rainbow flag in my classroom, which means diversity, but it really means I'm going to talk your kid into changing genders, and then I'm going to sue you if you don't support it. That's public education today. All right, we all have an assignment. We're going to bump up our standard and responsibility. So get ready for your life to get harder. All your little skirting of responsibilities is about to move away. Ephesians 4.1 says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Ephesians 4.1. Paul's a prisoner. He's saying, I can't do what I'm called to do, but you can. I'm no longer free, so you live for me. You can see somebody without legs saying, go run a race for me. You can see grandpa, whose strength is gone, looking at his grandchildren say, go live life to its fullest. I can't anymore. You can hear Paul, a prisoner, telling the Ephesians, you're still free. Go do what you're called to do. Anybody who's ever been athletic or enjoys athleticism and you get sick and you're laid up in bed, you make all sorts of covenants on that sick bed saying, as soon as I can get up again, I'm going to run five miles. I'm going to go play basketball. I'm going to go get after this. I'm going to go for a swim. I'm going to ride a bike because I hate being in bed. Paul is saying, I can't go and come as I used to, but you guys still can, so you better get after it. Walk worthy of that vocation, that assignment, that calling. We don't get to be a kingdom of consumers only. We have to be a kingdom that knows the rules and regulations of the spirit realm. It, it, just, it hurts my heart to watch families go through all sorts of trauma with their kids and have zero knowledge of how to pray, intercede, rebuke devils, take up the spiritual mantle, cast out stuff, purge their home, I, I, exercise just dominion in their family. And I think you've been in church as long as I have and you're still this incompetent. And you see people hurt because they don't know any better. And then the God gets the blame for their loss. Well, you know, God must have wanted their child in heaven. Well, suicide, number one, is not how you get to heaven. Now, I'm not saying you go to hell if you commit suicide. I'm not saying that. But there are better ways to go to heaven than taking your own life. Suicide's a demon. And if you don't know that, then you're probably going to fall prey to suicide. If we have a vocation, we need to walk worthy of it. That vocation isn't middle-class Christian America. So contrary to our upbringing, our aim in life is not to live as middle-class Christian Americans in our suburban strongholds of comfort and convenience. That's not our vocation. That's not our destiny. That's not our calling. That's a wonderful place to get to live life, but it's an even better place to advance the kingdom from if you'll get after it. So then the question becomes, what is our vocation? And this is where it's going to get hard on us. And I just want you to know that 
Once you hear the standard, you don't get to come down from it. Go to Revelation chapter 1. Here is every one of our vocations. It's been here all along. Revelation chapter 1. And this is where we have to begin to learn to an even greater detail what this kingdom's domain is. To be able, competent citizens. Remember, the man under the bridge is a U.S. citizen. The drug addict in the homeless camp is a U.S. citizen with all rights and privileges. But how many of them is he taking advantage of? You can be a born-again citizen of the kingdom of heaven and participate in zero benefits. Many Christians come to church and they are spiritual hobos. Many Christians are faithful and they're spiritually homeless. Many Christians are on Christian welfare, social welfare. They come to church and everybody around them does for them. They have never come to a place where they are uh, participating citizens of their government, of their nation, of their kingdom. Why would you want to live this way? Uh, to me, again, I'm not belittling mental health issues, addiction. I'm not. There are folks in homeless camps that choose to be there because they think it's easier. Why would you choose that? There are folks that choose to be homeless in the kingdom of God. Why would you choose that? There are Christians that choose irresponsibility in the kingdom. Why would you do that? Why would you be a peripheral saint when you could be a kingdom leader? Now, here's what our calling is. Every one of you, from the oldest grandma in here to the youngest high schooler who's able to be in these services. This is all of our callings. Here's where we are all equal. Revelation chapter 1, verse 6. Hath God hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. We have been made kings and priests. This brings us back to governments and domains. Both of these positions, both of these titles, these vocations have a distinct application in our life. The kingly calling, obviously not a single person in here is a king. We're not a monarch. We don't have a domain like that. We don't have a crown we wear. We don't have a throne we sit on, not in the natural. But the king of this calling, that's your dominion and your authority in the earth. To declare a thing and it shall be established. To exercise governments and authority. A king knows what he can and can't do. A king knows his domain. A king knows his territory. A king wisely does not extend his territory, trying to take over neighbor's territory. A king knows the rules he's declared. If we're kings, we should know God's laws. If we're kings, we should know God's authority he's given us. If we're kings, we should know the extent of our domain and what's expected of us as a sovereign over that little domain. Not the sovereign, but a sovereign. If we're called to be kings, and we evidently are all called, because we're not just called, we've been made that. If we've been made to be a king and we don't fulfill this, we're going to answer for a failed calling. This is natural domain. How do I parent my child? How do I manage my finances? Kings should be the opposite of the U.S. government when it comes to fiduciary responsibility. We should have a budget. We should live by it. We should not be like the Federal Reserve or spending money like a politician. If we're kings, we should know how to lead our home. We should know how to defend our home. Pastor Akwokwo, being one of my fathers, he was very offended I had guns. Just didn't then. I still do now. Just want to be clear on that. 
just don't carry them like I used to. And he said, why do you have guns? And I said, because my nation is crazy. And he said, what happens if someone breaks into your home? I said, I will kill them. I don't have a problem with that. I mean, I do, but if it's between my wife and my kids and them, I believe in a high iron diet, <laughs> high speed iron. Yeah, we have laws that give you the right to do that. He said, well, if you kill somebody, you'll be a murderer. I said, if I kill someone, I will have defended my wife. And the Bible tells me if I don't provide for my own, I'm worse than an infidel. The king knows how to defend his family. The king, he knows what the enemies of his domain are. Every household has different enemies. Enemies of your mind, enemies of your marriage, enemies of your children. Every kid has different enemies, spiritual, mental, physical. The king, if we're called to be kings, the king doesn't get to sleep as much as everybody else. The king has a high responsibility for the natural realm. And he makes sure that everything under his domain or her domain is cared for to the glory of God Almighty. That's a high calling. And you have to be competent to execute it. As it is, many of our fellow citizens in the kingdom of God are incompetent kings over their domain. Their kids come and go as they want. Their money's willy-nilly. Their health is willy-nilly. Their defense is willy-nilly. Their marriage is a mess. They're made to be kings, but they're not good ones. This is a calling and a responsibility, so we ought to all up our game. The second point is being a priest. This is our spiritual responsibility. Kings and priests are two different classes of people. We don't have high priests like they did in the Old Testament. Jesus is our high priest. Just like we don't have kings like they did in the Old Testament, Jesus is our king. But now the burden of responsibility and the principalized roles are applied to us through John the Revelator's epistle here. And so if we're priests, then we make intercession. We stand in the presence of God. We see him face to face. We offer up sweet-smelling sacrifices. We give of our life. We live for him. The priest, his whole life revolved around God. That's what we do even if we have a career and own a business. That's our priestly obligation. It has authority as well. It's spiritual authority. It's intercessory authority. It's imprecatory authority. You call down curses and you stay the judgment of God. You, you're always interceding. That's our responsibility. It's every one of our vocations. Well, you don't have to be called to the ministry to be made a priest unto our God. You're interceding for your kids. You're interceding for yourself. You're interceding for your pastor. You're interceding for your neighbor. You're interceding for your nation, your neighborhood. This is a responsibility. I mean, okay, just with the high points of what we've hit today, theology, Christology, pneumatology, demonology, angelology, missiology, kings, priests, how are you going to learn all that one 30-minute, weak-kneed, milk-toast, limp-wristed, sissified, laser-show sermon a week? You're going to be incompetent as a kingdom citizen. This verse right here tells us that every citizen of God's kingdom has a dual role, which also happens to be the role of Jesus Christ, king and priest, which was the role of David, king and priest. We stand in the new place like that. But it also means work, 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 and you have to know what your domain is and you have to know what your responsibility is. 
What this does is raise the standard on our life. And if we would fulfill these roles, our kingdoms would prosper. That means our personal domains. If we would fulfill these roles, we would see our domains flourish, our kingdom flourish, our children flourish. We'd see folks come and want to join our kingdom. We call that intercessory prayer and conversion to Christianity. As it is, we're still fighting probably the two greatest enemies of the American church, entertainment and greed. And the kingdom removes both of those. We're dealing with this plague called incompetent kingdom citizens. And we need to make sure we're not that. Your job is to be hungry for the grace of God, hungry for the knowledge of God, hungry for scripture, hungry to know your responsibility. You ought to be like a little kid, which sounds biblical, like babes desire the sins of milk of the word. All you parents know your kids go through a stage where like, give me something to do. Give me something to do. I want to help. I want to help. I want to help. And then they kind of grow out of it. They're like, do I have to? And that's when you have to teach them work before play, which apparently is called the new racism. Of course, if you breathe wrong two ways, you're racist now. The wonderful thing is, like Pixar prophesied, if everything's racist, nothing is. They go that, oh, oh do I have to? Oh, I can't, why can't you be like your little brother who wants to help with everything? Uh, we work before we play. So get in here and work, then you can go play. We lost it somewhere. We need to be asking God, give me something more to do. Give me another prayer assignment. Give me another thing to intercede for. Give me another, another project. Give me another object to tackle. And it doesn't mean a video game. It doesn't mean you need another vacation. You should actually earn those. You don't just take them because you're bored. On top of that, most vacations are just you wasting a lot of money to be miserable with your family you don't like anyway. Just be miserable here and put the money in savings and maybe have some money later in life. Why spend all that money to go hate each other there? <laughs> Argue, bicker, fight, roll your eyes, have attitude, and just I'll, you know, make empty promises and hollow threats. That's what you'll do. Go eat out expensively and come home and be miserable and not refreshed. Yeah, that to me, there's no wisdom in that at all. None. Our job is to be kings and priests. Dominion over our natural realm, dominion over the spiritual realm starting with your home, then expanding it, starting with you, then your marriage, then your kids, your family, then, then your neighborhood, then expanding to your career. It's concentric realms of influence. Or just be one of those kind of Sunday morning, only 30-minute sermon, who that feels good, got my church sticker on the back of my car, feeling awesome, and contribute nothing to what is the last day's move of God. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag too blessed to be stressed. Hashtag king's kid. Hashtag poser. Because you're none of those things. <laughs> so let's find one verse to wrap this up with this morning because we're trying to solve the incompetency of kingdom citizens. Did we ever read Hebrews 12? Let's go there and read that. Hebrews 12, verse 28. Therefore, we, Hebrews 12, 28, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence 
and godly fear. This kingdom demands we serve God. This kingdom does not permit spectatorship. This kingdom does not demand showboating or permit any kind of backseat Christianity. This kingdom that we have received, whereby we are citizens thereof and kings and priests, requires that we serve God, and we do so acceptably. Because you can serve God and not be accepted. And one of the things that makes it acceptable is our services with reverence and godly fear. There is, an, there is this element of not just reverence, but a fear. Now, the context of this verse is Mount Zion catching on fire, Mount Horeb, and Moses saying, I do exceedingly fear and tremble, and the whole of the mountain be a furnace. And, and, our, and the Bible says, yeah, yeah, and that mountain, as terrifying as it was, isn't the one you're called to. And all those Israelites there, yeah, you're called to an innumerable company of angels and the spirits of just men made perfect and to the redeemed of the living God. The whole context is Moses was terrified. You should wet yourself. Moses was terrified. Fear. Be afraid because that was natural. This is supernatural. That mountain shook. Ours cannot be shaken. And yet we've got to have grace. King James, the margin says, hold fast. Cling to it. That is heaven's help. Only by heaven's help can we serve God. We have a whole company of saints in the church that don't serve their kingdom. A whole myriad of believers who are simply Sunday morning entertainment consumers. And that's unacceptable according to the New Testament. We must cling heaven's help that we might serve our God acceptably with godly, or with reverence and godly fear, because the next verse says, for our God is an all-consuming fire. The passage starts off, the mountain is on fire, but your mountain's not on fire, but your God is a fire. There's no escaping it. We're playing patty cake with God, and we, underst- we don't understand why things fall apart. Our job is to come up higher. Our prayer ought to be, Lord, don't let me be incompetent. Lord, I don't want to be a dummy. Lord, I don't want to be a dummy. Lord, I've got to operate in this kingdom. Lord, I've got to do better. When our missionaries went to Uganda to be able to do things legally, which we're all for, they had to study African immigration law, African visa law, NGO law, so that they could do things legally because our God loves things lawful. They have had to become somewhat knowledgeable in Ugandan law, Ugandan kingdom culture, the Bugandan kingdom culture, so that they can operate and accomplish great things for God, because they want to accomplish great things for God. And if you want to accomplish great things for God, you've got to become, at the very least, competent kingdom citizens. And then we would challenge you to go on to excellent kingdom citizens, knowing the rules and regulations of this kingdom, how to operate. What's the responsibility, the job and description of a king? What's the responsibility and description of a priest? And are we doing it or not doing it? When you are competent as a king and a priest of your home, your kids flourish. When you're incompetent, they suffer harm. So that's a good way to judge. When you are competent as a king and a priest, your marriage grows stronger. Your money grows stronger. Your health grows stronger. When you're incompetent, you suffer lack, and everything about your marriage looks like the world. All these tools have been given to us, and unfortunately, we must apologize that 
the American church has become more American than it is church. Nobody would debate the fact or the statement that the American church has zero power and the saints suffer. Our job, church, is to come up. We must come up. We must come up. We must know the rules of our kingdom. We must know the authority we've been given. We must know what's required of us. Nowadays, someone like me is called hard because I tell you the requirements. I tell you the expectations. I don't tell you. I preach them at you. That's hard words. Okay, go live under a bridge. Go panhandle. Come on. We're better than all of this. Our job is to come up in this kingdom and become competent and then excellent citizens, knowledgeable, using the laws of God's word, using the rules of the kingdom to advance his cause and glorify his son. Anything less than that is selfish. If you didn't know, we are not the third person of the Trinity. It's not God the Father, God the Son, and God the me. (laughs) But you wouldn't know it sometimes. So this is our assignment, church. We come up, kings and priests, no longer incompetent citizens. Amen.